0: Bismillah ar rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Allahumma salli wa salli wa salli wa salli wa barakla Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'alta sahla wa anta tajl al-hazna idha she'atah sahla Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik Ya Rabbil Kareem Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Wa ala 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 We are not going to be using the microphone, all right? I didn't like it last time and it's definitely horrible to listen to um, online as well. So those folks that are finding it difficult to hear from your side, you can come closer. I think the sisters are going to be fine uh, where they are. So before we start uh, today, a couple of things. Uh, Alhamdulillah, um, so we had the exams, right? And for those who are... um, for those who are new students, the exam, of course, is not something which is uh, obligated. This is an easy-going class in that sense, right? We don't want to obligate upon, upon students, but it's a good idea to, um, to sit the exam each year, multiple choice, nice and simple, with a huge effort from the teachers as part of logical progression uh, in their preparation of notes, excellent notes, summary notes, brilliant actually, fantastic, and so it's good. And so, alhamdulillah, the cohort for 2023, um, including the uh, default, so there's, a, there's a, a one weekend and then those that can't make that weekend, then they go for the next weekend after that. Um, we can announce, because obviously there's quite a, uh, obviously a lot of people sat the exam. Um, if I want to say what was the most popular mark, or the one that most people got then it was 69 percent so 69 percent as from what i understand even though the average is 54 uh 56.45 that would be the average um mark but we want to congratulate a new uh a new winner because we have yeah, some usual suspects at the top Allah. but this year, alhamdulillah Shehnaz Abu Bakr is the one who came first with 85%, and um, which shows actually that it was a tougher exam. I think it was, huh? Zafar? It was, it was, yeah, it was a lot tougher than normal, um, which is great. Um, the only sad news is that the, the Americans took the first place, yeah? Shehnaz is not from Manchester or from Cheadle or from UK, she's from the US. So imagine that, right? Those folks will find it far more difficult to watch live and attend live. Whatever. To be honest, there's no good news for the Brits in this at all. Because the next four people all got 83%, right? So, second, equal second are four people. Uh, Fozia Saeed from Canada, uh al from the States, uh, Sharmeen from uh, Calgary in Canada, and then Widad uh, Zaman, that is. Um, not Widad Mizahid, uh, that's Widad uh, Zaman from the US. Our only representative, they all got 83%. Our only representative is Taymor. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve him, increase him, make him yani, smash everybody next year. I mean, and uh, I was with him last week and uh, that's the, the the brother who obviously have been been there from the beginning and just does a fantastic job of um, organizing the stuff in uh, Finchley Masjid, North Finchley Masjid. And uh, they just do a great, great job. So Alhamdulillah, um, and then we got some really good marks again sahel uh, also got 80 bilal got 80 uh and uh well qazi who got seven uh, qazi ahmed who got 78 percent uk at last alhamdulillah dina from jordan she got 77 uh and then the rest is here and there alhamdulillah in the top 10 we have pakistan Jibran was there from pakistan and we have hasiya from uh, ghana so she got in and we have Hong Kong in there as well, although FISA might be claiming Canada at the moment. So whatever country she's claiming, but I think that Hong Kong is where she's been the longest since, since Pakistan. So, alhamdulillah, that's uh, great. May Allah subhanahu wa taala allow this knowledge that they revise and that they inculcate into themselves to be a source of reward and comfort for them. It's a reminder, folks, that although, you know, um, we said before that different people sit classes or attend classes for different reasons. Right, um, Some do it because it's a, just a, it's a comfort thing, keeping yourself in the game, part of your community, and it's not because you're taking some kind of serious path to knowledge. And that's fine, that's fine, as long as you're doing something to benefit yourself. Ideally though, you should be recognizing that this knowledge is something that is essential knowledge and, can, and should be passed on to other people, right? To go to other people that are asking. And, and anyone who's on a Telegram group will know firsthand how useful that can be, right? Lots of people asking questions and you'll see, uh, these are the students that you'll see often answering the questions and excellently. It's a very good practice for them to do that, all right? Big shout out to Bilal, for example. Big shout out to Mesa. Um, all of the folks that, that get involved in the, the LP group and give that, um, that, that uh, time back from what they've studied. It's a responsibility of, as well, of course, and it's an honor. Knowledge will do nothing to you except honor you, nothing. Um, and it will be an evidence for you, as will every other effort in the propagation. You know, you might not be the one who's answering all the questions and spreading the da'wah, but you might help in any other way. And that leads me on to the second part. We always, every year, need some uh, help. Uh, sometimes it's financial. At the moment, um, Abu Dhar basically thinks that we're being funded by the Sultan of Brunei, and uh, despite me asking him, begging him, and crying my eyes out to him to write out the thing is, he, mashallah, thinks that um, his family becoming cricketers of the uh, whatever is more important. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them success in that. But if you, by next week, don't get me those figures here, you are so dead, right? Um, but um, I think financially we're good in terms of the costs. Obviously, costs have increased in terms of servers, this, that, blah, 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 blah. But actually, a much bigger need in terms of support is help with the referencing and transcription team. Those folks who are new might not have accessed the incredible resources that are available on the LP Portal. If you imagine that right now, every lesson that's been just like nearly 400 videos, each an hour, an hour and a half long, right, over the last 12 years, all of them have been transcribed word for word. Can you imagine how unbelievably annoying and irritating it would be to listen to me slow and then go back and did he say this did he say that write all that out ai can't come quick enough right and uh, already alhamdulillah um, some great news that we've got a couple of uh, a couple of people including ibrahim our own ibrahim uh, who's looking at trying to um, use ai to be able to automate this process of course it's difficult because we're using arabic terms and colloquial kind of slang here and there makes it more difficult to then transcribe but it can certainly uh, make it easier and quicker right so we're looking to do that but we do need uh, some help in that especially when it comes to just following uh, the instructions of a team that's of course very successfully and very well led by Mesa maybe just to check a few things maybe just to uh, proofread maybe just to check some references and maybe just to just transcribe so if you can do that, then Shaz is going to put the email on the portal for you right now. It's lpnotetakers at gmail.com. lpnotetakers at gmail.com. If you can give any time, half an hour a week, uh, a few minutes a week, one or two hours a week, then it will be put to uh, good use. And a shout out again, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward the volunteer team, the transcribing to reference team. I mean, this class is only as successful as they are. This is easy as as pie, you know, just reading straight out of a book. But to do all the back-end work, missions, missions. To be someone like Mesa who's sitting there with lots of queries and waiting and waiting for me to get back to her. And then, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the background. So may Allah to reward them all and hopefully give you the motivation to do this as well. Because, um, uh, you know, if you look in the last couple of weeks, just, I mean, in this community, obviously, we felt it very... Uh, real, we had Uncle Habib Rahman, uh, who passed away. Alayhi rahmatullah. We had our own Shazad Amin's father, Dr. Muhammad Amin, who passed away. Rahimahullah. And um, uh, we also had Dr. Abu Ahmed Abu Zaid, who's a great friend of this masjid and a great uh, uh, and a personal friend of mine. His mother passed away uh, a few days ago in the States. Rahimahullah. And that's just in our local community. Then you go and look at the situation in Libya. Then you go and look at the situation in Morocco. And all of these, of course, um, are just reminders that life is finite. Life is short. And stress is high. And when stress is high because life is difficult, life is expensive, and, and the rest, you can sometimes lose sight of what it's all about. Whether you get stuck in the dunya or whether you forget death, it doesn't matter. And these reminders come to remind us that um, that we need to be swift and more urgent in gathering together in our accounts something that's going to count for us when we meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every single voluntary effort that you do, every single charity that you do with your time, that's the irony, right? I'm, uh, I'm asking you to be charitable with your time. Charitable upon yourself, charitable upon yourself. I don't want a penny at the moment. I think we're good financially. It's hardly ever, actually, the money, right? It's always the time. It's always the time. That's the real kind of thing. And and that's not just for this effort. I mean, be charitable to yourself. Charitable to yourself. Put sadaqah upon your own uh, scales. All right, folks. So I think we are, uh, I think we are, yeah, you know, it's so difficult to read this thing. You know what, Shaz? The links on there. Uh, on new course notes and translation yes got it right so um, we are today doing the section of Fossil this is if you look at the uh, notes then uh, the class notes, which you see the link, uh, the first comment in the, in the portal, Shazad has put that. Or if you've got the, the eyesight, because it's very, very small. That's something we should look at, by the way. It pops out. Oh, it does, yeah. yeah. Right, so if, 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 you, if in the portal you can see, what about on the app? What happens on the app? That's another thing we, we should uh, check with the name. Um, the notes are there on the portal as well, but you can also uh, just click the link that shazad has got in the, uh, uh, in the thing. So this is the last paragraph of Arabic Fossil chapter or subsection wa yu'dharu bi tarki jum'ah wa jama'ah mariidun wa mada' wa mudafi'un ahadul akhthayn wa muhtajun ilay 3 wa khaaf'un min adhyaa' malihi aw fawaad aw fawaatihi aw Almoti Karibihi, O Allah Nefsi Himin Bararin, O Sultanin, O Mula Zemati Harimin, Wala Shaimah, O Minfawati Rufatin, O Galabatin nuas O Adher Bimatar O Wahl Wabirhin Barida Shadida Philatin Modlima. So this translates as, and it's the final uh section in the congregational prayer, might get it done in two sessions. Uh, These are the excuses rescinding the Friday prayer and the congregational prayer Those excuses that are legitimately allowed for you to use in order to not attend those congregational prayers So, the text One is excused from attending the Friday or congregational prayer when he is sick, number one Number two is holding back urine or feces Number three is in the presence of food he is in need of Number four Fears that his property may be misplaced, lost or damaged. Number five, fears the death of a relative. Or, yeah, and it's someone close, but the intention here is relative. Yeah. Number, uh, why have I got seven there? Uh, It should be six. Fears for himself from either, uh, fears for himself either from injury or the authorities or a debt collector for something he can't pay back. Number seven, fears missing his friend's depart. Number eight, is overcome by drowsiness. And number nine, fears being harmed by rain, mud, or a strong cold wind in the dark of night. So these are what our uh, Imam, Imam al Hajjawi, the author of Zad al-Mustaqnit, this text, that's what he's put forward as legitimate excuses to not attend the jamaah and the jumua, Alright? Let's break all these down. So we, we started last week, of course, from Finchley, if you saw the, the online uh, session. And we know that uh, we spoke about Maria, and we've already covered that, right? Um, the one who's um, ill. Then page 311 in the middle, I believe that's where we are. Shaz, is that where we are? Yeah? yeah? So, uh, let's get back to the portal. So... <coughs> ومدافع أحد الأخبثين، the one who holds back the two akhbath, the, the the filthy things، and by that it means urine and feces. Filthy because they're both najas intrinsically، right? They're both substances and they are uh, um, uh, they they're, they're they're filthy intrinsically. But that's not just what's intended، right? But at the same time, wind is intended. And sometimes, as Sheikh Uthameen makes the point here, he goes that that's actually far worse. That's actually far worse than, um, or far more difficult, I should say, to hold back or to concentrate. The whole thing here is about concentration, right? It's obviously, if a person had diarrhea and physically couldn't hold back anything, they wouldn't be going anywhere, let alone the masjid, right? So that's not the point here. The point is, is that this is like a judgment call that you make. So you're, you're at home and you really are kind of bursting, but not bursting, bursting. You could probably hold it, you know, for another 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and you decide to go to the masjid, but all the way through the, the the journey there, the salah that you're praying, you're just hoping, that please, you know, cut it short. Say Allahu Akbar, you know, make the prayer shorter. And you're not that's not the right state of mind, that's not the right attitude for the prayer. And that's obviously a problem. And likewise, therefore, a person who has problems with wind would be in the same uh, uh, situation. Um, Sheikh Uthameen says that sometimes that's far a shaq, yani far more difficult upon the, the person to, to, to do that. What's the evidence is for this? That a person can simply, for the sake of needing to go to the toilet, can miss something as important as the jama'ah and the jum'ah, the Prophet ﷺ said in authentic Hadith لا There is no prayer in the presence of food And or whilst he is holding back يُدَعْفِ uh, How did I translate that? What did I say? Holding back the what? Holding back the urge to defecate or to urinate I guess, right? There's no nice kind of easy translation on that So this Hadith makes it clear and, and compares and in, in this hadith you have the evidence for the food aspect and the needing to go to the toilet aspect and so it's clear it's not about the feces and it's not about the food it's about what's happening as a result of not eating and what's happening as a result of not going to the toilet your mind is completely dominated by those two things and we know that from personal experience um, so, the, 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 first of all, we don't need to understand or try to understand that hadith. The hadith is very clear, so that's the first evidence. It's a nas, it's a text. The second evidence is what I just said, which is that if a, uh, a person is trying to hold himself, those urges, back, then his heart and his mind is completely dominated by that. And I kind of mentioned this uh, uh, last week, this principle that Sheikh Uthameen Uh, Expounds, which is a fantastic principle. I'm going to translate it word for word so that you benefit from this. He goes that um, that when a person is controlling an urge that he's thinking about and or or she's thinking about right going to the toilet or and and, and holding back and holding back and the food whatever, then the heart is now not focused on the prayer, and this is a deficiency in the intrinsic act of ibadah itself, and. If you think about it, he says to leave the Jama'ah, All right, To leave the Jama'ah is a, 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 a deficiency in the uh, outside of the actual act of worship. What do I mean by that? That the prayer is still valid if you pray at home, right? So if you didn't go to the Jama'ah, the prayer is still valid so it's a deficiency in the entire structure, in the entire experience but it's not a deficiency in the actual act of worship which is the prayer it is a deficiency in how that that act of worship should ideally be offered whereas if your heart is consumed and your mind is consumed and focusing on all these other things that's a deficiency within the actual internal act of the ibadah and there's absolutely no doubt that that's far more important to be protected against than the other one And that's the point that Sheikh is saying, when you think about it and think about the normal kind of Joe public They would be far more focused on the importance of being sick as opposed to the importance of not being focused on the prayer You get get the point what I'm making? So even though both are legitimate excuses to not go and pray in a Jama'ah People would take this one lightly they would say, Yeah, I can wait 20 minutes. I can, I can hold this, whatever, whatnot. But if they're sick, then they will, you know, they really hold on to that or they make a big thing about that. They'll speak a lot about it. And what Sheikh means bringing the, the, the attention to is how important it is to ensure that you're in the right state of mind when you're praying and that you get rid of all kinds of uh, distractions. And of course, this opens up a lot of uh, points. Yes. Uh, Zephyr. Yeah. I'm getting older now, so this didn't used to be an issue. But when you, what is it, the thought that comes in your head that I might need to go? Or is it everybody's been in that situation where actually you're desperate to go and you can't think about anything else? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So the question is, is that what is the threshold for this? What are are the regulating standards or guidelines for something like this, right? And that's obviously a, a popular question on this matter. From day dot. And uh, there's no real answer to that. And the reason there's no real answer to that is a couple of reasons. First, there's no evidence for the answer, right? So in a second, Sheikh Tamir is going to c- come onto the issue of food, and he's going to be asked the question about, well, how much food, right? And I want to speak about a few other things as well. but on the, on the food point, right, um, if there's like a great meal, are you being dominated by the fact that it's a great meal? Or are you being dominated by the fact that you're starving hungry? Both of which you could deal with by two, three quick bites and off you go, right? And therefore, should we as scholars then say that, right, you are not allowed to uh, use this excuse every time and then sit down and have a three-course you know, dinner? or uh, you're, Or the opposite we say to the people that you're only allowed to have one bite, to just basically get rid of the hunger. And Sheikh Uthameen says there's no evidence to restrict this to you're only allowed one bite. He goes, that's, that's the kind of thing that scholars and we, we would have the opinion of Molvis and scholars that that's what they would be doing, make everything haram upon us. Therefore, you know, you're only allowed to have one, two bites, but you can't sit down and take it easy. Sheikh Uthameen is saying this is not your Role to be you know, restricting and to determining what is and what isn't. The hadith is there. It's a, uh, an excuse. It's a, a way out for people when that situation occurs. And people have to take personal responsibility. People have to take personal responsibility. Now, when I, you know, you mentioned the fact that, you know, when you get older, then there's more, you know, um, uh, a chance that it's happening, especially with the toilet and so on. An interesting point is that as, as I've got older, I'm starting to realise that um, being more conservative and stricter on this issue is possibly a sign of immaturity and ignorance. I remember when I was younger, right? We're talking like 20 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, 15 probably years ago, when I used to teach this hadith in some of the basic texts or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, you know, You can't take liberties, you can't take this, you can't take that The truth is, as I've grown older You kind of like think to yourself, well you know what People aren't as silly as they are, aren't as foolish as they are And they are aware when they're taking liberties or not And at some times, we should just let the hadith speak for itself Let the person know the score And then tell them that, you know, if you need to eat, the hadith doesn't restrict it Have your full meal, take the time, eat it properly and whatever but, you know, Allah knows, you know, what's going on If you're telling your missus, right, let's make sure that dinner's is every single day at half past seven <laughs> Right? Isha time, you know what I'm saying? Or that I want my breakfast hot and, you know, steaming cup of tea exactly half past five fajr in the morning Right? Do you know what I mean? Now, uh, there's an interesting point here That I'm, I'm, again, answering this in the wrong place I should be speaking about it a bit later, but I might as well just say it right now that an essential thing to remember is the lack of clocks and time in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Right? because you're going to see now that Shaykh al is going to say Abdullah ibn Umar authentically narrated that he was eating whilst the Adhan was going Right now, the importance of that is that the ihram follows very quickly afterwards, meaning that he wasn't in the masjid. Why is that important? Because Abdullah bin Umar also authentically narrated that he never missed the ihram; he's always there early. Right. Therefore, this is an evidence that you know the, 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 from the height of understanding is that a person who is uh, who has food in front of them, they should focus on the food. But I, po- I point to you. That out of all of his lifetime We see this one time You get what I'm saying? We didn't see 15 different narrations On 15 different occasions that he's doing that But even if there were 15 different occasions I want you to put yourself in their shoes What do we do? When you're getting ready for Salah And you're getting kids ready Whatever, what not Everybody knows very clearly 7.20 guys were leaving the home The whole everyone knows Right? Isha is half past 7 We're leaving 7.20 Everyone's got a clock Everyone's got access You can plan everything out Okay, now I know that people who live in the, in the rough and Bedouins and whatever, they become also very accustomed to time. They can tell you how long two minutes is, they can tell you how long 10 minutes is because of just their, you know, not dependent upon time, but being so in connection, in, in touch with themselves. However, uh, the Adhan is not some kind of robotic, artificial, fake reality like it is today. It's not based upon a clock. Right? Exactly. You know, you see people here when it hits that time and there's no one doing the other, and everyone's like looking around, like, what the hell's going on? Right? They don't realize that at the time of the Prophet, some of them will be like, As, you know, is it in? Give it a few more minutes. Has it changed? It's all observational. Is, is it dark enough? Are we, are we sure? Let's make sure, just wait a bit. Are you sure? You know, ask so and so, ask so and so. Person then gets up and then says it. You've got no way of judging that. Once you've left the Jama'ah, gone home. The only time you're going back to the masjid is roughly in an hour and a bit, or roughly in a few hours. The actual, the actual thing that's going to make you go to the masjid is what? It's the adhan. How do you plan your food and things like that? Now, I'm just putting that out there to make it clear that there is more nuance to this. I don't want to, though, say that they had an excuse we don't. No, I don't want to, because sometimes, you know, you, you might be in a situation where, you know, the family dynamic at, on that day is different. Maybe your wife is preparing food and, you know, one day she goes, listen, I've got, I've got to go out, for example. So I've, I need to make your food now. And some people might not like re, uh, 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 microwaving, their, reheating their food. Or maybe the food that's been prepared is one that can't be reheated, right? So you shouldn't put your pressure upon yourself and say, you know, how did we mess this up? We're living in an era of times and clocks and, you know, we should know better. No, no, it's okay. There's a concession. Use it. It's a concession. It's an excuse. It's legitimate. And a person should use it. And likewise, when it comes to the toilet, person will know themselves. And a person will look at the time, right? And they will know that as I'm getting older, my blood is getting weaker. And so therefore, I need to plan. I know exactly what time. I need to get this ready The same scenario with the, with, the, with, the, with the bladder If you don't know exactly when the adhan is going to go off and you are planning to go to the toilet but you might have delayed it by a few minutes then the adhan goes, that's understandable but there's not that much excuse for a person at home who knows, right, looks at the time, sees 6.45 he goes, I've got half an hour to now go toilet, make all blah, blah." he's got everything able to be out there So, um, I think it's a balance I think it's an I think the benefit of all these points is not to memorize these points I think all of these points as you're going to see as we explain Are all indicating that at times certain things happen And when those things happen and it's legitimate Take the concession, don't make it a habit And you don't need to uh, um, uh, attend the jamaah or the Jumu'ah Especially the Jamaah. And I, I mentioned this last week but I'll say it again That they are not the same Obligations are not the same and the Jum'ah is something which only happens once a week Its replacement is a different prayer entirely It should be seen as far more serious And more care should be taken on it More self kind of awareness The jamaah, worse comes to worse If you mess that up and you don't you know, attend At least you can pray the prayer itself The prayer hasn't suddenly disappeared Right? So keep that in, in mind Yes, so Bob Obviously we've got the text there Yeah And we're saying to ourselves that look, you know, Don't abuse the text basically Yeah and similarly, we find it with the people who, for example, the, the hadith on the rain and the combining of the prayers. Yes. Some people might see a bit of rain and they say, well, let's do jama'ah. Yes. Let's com- ma- combine maghrib with Isha. Yes. The with maghrib. Again, you know, back in the day, if you go in it and you reflect upon it, it's difficulty and hardship. And over here, no one's, you know, everyone's got their cars and... So, so yeah, again, this was coming at the end And we can discuss that now Because we are talking about just this you know, How do we assess these things In terms of the, when the text is there you bring it to our times And the element of people abusing it I, th- I, th- I think the way to answer it Is always to understand what's it trying to do Right? So there are, there are some scholars, by the way a, 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 An absolute minority and two rightly Right? Bec- who said that actually these hadith indicate That it's the rain itself Which is the illah Which is crazy, which is crazy because if you believe that then one drop of rain is enough for you to then say I'm not going out or uh, to the masjid or if I am at the masjid I'm going to combine whatever. It's obviously difficulty upon the uh, Musalleen and hardship and we have evidences for that. Uh, The uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas for example, the Mu'addineen at the time of the Prophet and then after the, the Prophet it was their sunnah that when the weather is bad but they are in the masjid they would not say hayya al-salah they would say hayya they, they would say hayya al-salah hayya al Hayala hayya al-falah sallu fi rihalikum sallu fi rihalikum allahu akbar allahu akbar la ilaha illallah right pray at home pray at home it's too cold it's too dangerous it's too wet it's too muddy and hence those points have been mentioned right so it's about uh, uh, danger right or, or harm not danger harm right and harm is entirely subjective as well Now I put to you that no scholar is going to be able to give you a very exact you know, defining threshold and line right? I think the answer to the question that you're saying, the balanced answer, is that the hadith is there, it must not be ignored And at the same time, context needs to be taken into account And when you've got concrete everywhere and everyone's in cars and the like, then most of the harm is going to be negated however it doesn't mean that all harm is negated a lot of rain can make very difficult driving conditions right if we said for example snow everyone would Im- immediately kind of say yeah you yeah, know that's okay so again it's so subjective some people will have snow chains on their tires people in Sweden you can imagine telling that to people in Sweden and Denmark we're having a field day right they go out in, the, in Canada for example you look at Canada, minus 30, minus 40 in their winters They're all having to keep their, you know, going to the masjid People get used to different levels of difficulty uh, Another example would be clothes right? So if a person's got very few clothes Then them going out and getting soaked Why don't we care? We have these you know, expensive raincoats that completely you know, block everything out Or even if we don't, the clothes get soaked, so what? Go home chuck it down to the thingy and wash are going put on a whole brand new thing back at the time of the Prophet ﷺ the majority of the companions only had one dress only one dress right and you know in the hadith in Bukhari a lot of them used to interchange between what they used to eat on the and using that as the you know the, the, the whole ihram idea by the way people thinking it's a hajj thing it's not actually the, 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 the whole concept of uh, uh, Izar and Rida that style of clothing is that an actual style of clothing that you can dress with just simple sheets, right? So, harm is relative, definitely. And Shaykh Al is going to say that. That he goes, obviously, we can't compare. He goes, so the, the issue of mud that Imam Al Hajari brings up, obviously, because at that time there were no paved roads, concrete, bricks, tarmac, right? He goes, so that's not relevant to us. He goes, but there are still people. Like when I go back to the village, right? Forget village. In Egypt, by the way, just in Egypt, even going to in the middle of like we live right in the middle of uh, like uh, uh, Cairo, right, right in the middle, middle next to the Nile, built up and next to the university, blah di blah, blah. But the roads are very rough still, and you can't just go straight onto the tarmac kind of part. You got to go over a little bit of sand and a little bit of this that. When it rains, it goes mental, right? And light rain splattering everything and puddles everywhere, blah blah, blah. and so the, the, the uh, hadith are in play, they are to be applied when needed. There's no reason for us to kind of, you know, question people's motives too much. But clearly when we're in a, you know, like uh, your masjid, yeah, and there's only paved roads around it, the only people that go to that masjid are the two roads that surround it, then there's a blag there, isn't it? You know, I mean, people know when they're blagging it. All right, the third point Sheikh makes, um, he's now talking about the, the justifications, the reasons why, it is uh, uh, a person is excused from the jama'ah if they're trying to uh, with, uh, 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 stop uh, the urge. they've got the urge and they're resisting the urge to go to the toilet. We said one, the hadith, we said number two, the principle that the heart itself um, has to be in, in tune of the prayer. And I think I want to just add to that, therefore, just it's important for us to take the prayer more, um, more importantly, I would put to you, including myself, that our dominant relationship with the prayer is get it over and done with. And so, if there's something important that you need to get done, you kind of like, uh, like the opposite attitude. So, in so you want to focus on the thing that you want to get done. So let me get the prayer out of the way, and you're getting the prayer out of the way, whilst thinking about the thing that you got to get done. And now you've got it out of the way, now I can focus on the thing that, that needs to get done. Which is a shame, because it's got to be the exact opposite. Right? Now, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. If I am at work, for example, and I see a, a message or an email that I know that's from someone that I've told that I need to get back to them, and it comes up, I will absolutely delay the prayer to respond to that email because i know that i'll be thinking about that email or that task or that specific thing so this is not just linked to the toilet this is linked to ensuring that your prayer is not affected you have to magnify and exalt your prayer in your heart and mind you've got to make it more important than it already is however important it is in your mind right now it needs to be far more important that's what i'm saying at the moment it's a get out of the way thing get through the day thing right and it's only going to get worse because in winter, the prayer becomes tough three times in a working day and it becomes like a, a, an obstacle that needs to be passed. I put to you that you need to think about the way you rearrange your day to make sure that it's not seen in such a, uh, a minimal way. So that's the second evidence. The third evidence for why a person is, uh, uh, should not take this lightly is because of the harm to the body of doing this. So what, what, what Shaykh Uthamini is saying Person shouldn't go to the masjid like that anyway, trying to resist that urge because it's harmful and it is harmful. I don't know how much. Uh, there are times pelvic uh, exercises, what are they? pelvic floor exercises? What they call them? Yeah, that's needed to try to bring bladder control. Gonzafer, I've given you enough of intro there. Take over. Uh, how how good or bad is it? Training yourself, holding back the urges. At what point is it harmful and what point is it not? So, I mean, pelvic floor exercises. These are important to, these are the muscles, tendons around your bladder, um, which in women especially is weaker after pregnancy. Yeah. It's the advice we give them that they need to strengthen those. So, it helps you to hold it in. But the whole point is, is that your bladder, your ureter, and your kidney, this is a pruning system. When you uh, urinate, you're allowing things to pass. Perfect. That's the, that's the perfect summary. P- people today might kind of try and say to you that this is beneficial for you to become stronger, mm-hmm. you know, that to, to practice and to be able to kind of hold it in, develops your strength and muscle, develops your bladder, mm-hmm. develops, you know, whatever. The truth is, is that it's the opposite. So the few advantages and benefits that might be there are time limited, uh, post pregnancy, gender limited. It's not a normative position. This is al akhbat it is something disgusting, not just in itself, but also to the body. It is poisonous to the body, it's the waste products of the body, and the whole point of the system, of the back and front, is to get rid of it. And you blocking yourself up is not good. And so Sheikh Tamim is saying that you can't harm yourself. You can't, and this is true to harm yourself. He makes an interesting point. And he says that in the same vein, are uh, contraceptives and the like taken for delaying periods. Right? He said that we should look at this. Now this is obviously something that people know very well, those who are uh, who join me for programs, especially Hajj and Umrah, um, in that using, for example, drugs like noethisterone and the like to effectively hormonally try to change conditions, right? I've, I've always said, those people know very well, I write a very detailed kind of email to all the people who go, I'm not a fan of this. I'm not a fan of the concept. I'm not a fan of the impact of the drug uh, on the system. I'm especially not a fan of the confusion that it creates. Right? I'm a fan of people trusting their system. Now, obviously, the problem is very easy for a man to say that. That's the, that's the problem. Guy has no idea. You've gone and paid 10 grand, you've gone and paid 3 grand to go to Umrah, waited 5 years, 10 years, and your period has come at the time, you know, hardly anybody's got now a 5 day one. Times are changing, diets are changing, everyone's in for 7 days, 8 days, or all over the show. And... They're not going to be able to then pray much at Nabu, You know, you're so peaceful, so serene, whatever. and The girls are stuck in the hotel room, right? It's like it's there's a there's a reality, and then there's you know something else which is fake news, and um, that's why I do go and give them advice that if you are you do want to do it, you need to start early. You know, but it's not a good thing. Clearly, it's not a good thing. Now, I just want to give you guys a an insight into Hajj this year. Into in Hajj this year. Obviously, it was a big group, big group. And therefore, loads of women, obviously, and a huge amount of women, Nisbian relatively, I mean, were on the uh, various pills to do this. And honestly, never have we had a more stressful year ever, whether Hajj or Umrah or any experience I've ever had, where it's been related to menstrual, Con- uh, men'ses control never. N- I want to say almost without exception, almost without exception, every single sister that took, whether it's Nordisstrol or whatever drugs they took, at whatever dose, it failed. It failed because this year the heat was madness, and it was like you know touching fifty degrees at different points. Add all the physical exertion This, that, whatever The body was rejecting Any kind of uh, artificial attempts To try and you know control the situation And people were were bleeding During the, the, the medication Doesn't make any sense Is it menses? Is it withdrawal bleeding? Is it X? Is it Y? It was a madness Every single day dominated By sisters trying to work out Are they uh, to pray? Are they not to pray? What? Well, it causes so much problems So many problems Now again I want to say on Hajj far, far easier to deal with, right? Far, far easier. Um, I really don't even like the idea at all women taking medication on Hajj. You've got plenty of time, lots of options, especially if you're in a group that has a scholar who knows the stuff, then you should be working with that scholar to be able to give you lots of options because you've got so much time, especially in the program like we would do, which is three weeks or 20 days. You've got time to be able to adjust when you would do this Umrah, when you would do that act and the like. But in an Umrah, a trip only where you're only going for eight days or ten days or twelve days it's a different kettle of fish. But you know, the point that I'm trying to make is that um, there is a kind of you know a big movement to try to stop the period, and I think it's uh, wise to remind ourselves that um, uh, it's not all that is cracked up to be, and it's not healthy for your system. However you think, however much you think, it's not a, a great thing to do to your body, or from a, and obviously there's risks as well, right? Most a lot of women can't even take uh, those uh, medications. Uh, DVT risks And other risks as well So, so Sheikh Uttamin saying that um, We shouldn't put yourself into a, the position Where you're blocking yourself from letting go Menses is obviously a product So it's, act- it's actually a proper waste product It's the remains of the uterus that needs to be kicked out Likewise feces Likewise urine And everything that stops that is not good It's not good like, And this is You guys know my opinion Well most of you will On drugs like Imodium Right A lot of people love Imodium Right, uh, when they have uh, diarrhea and bad diarrhea and even if it's the worst diarrhea, it's a disaster Med- medically, yeah, it will eventually, after enough doses, block you up but you've blocked all that mess that caused the infection in the first place up with you and then it's just a, di- it's just a and I, I don't know if, you have, if I told you there's a weak hadith, it is weak don't at any moment think it's authentic but a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and he was complaining of diarrhea and he prescribed him honey and honey, of course, is a laxative right and that's the way that you know we should look at it if we have diarrhea is the reason there's something gone wrong get the whole system out you know what i mean just keep drinking keep taking whatever you want let's get all that mess out not the opposite which is the block up so every concept every actual um um every attempt almost to block the natural waste products or processes is harmful let alone on the heart for the prayer, which is what the point is being made and then he says "Woman, <speaking in Hebrew> this is the third sheikh, uh, uh, sheikh says that when uh, uh, food that he needs so if a person is not hungry then obviously it's not applicable and it's got to be food that he needs that he's able to take as well so it can't be for example I'm fasting and the food is put forward at Asr time and he goes right that's an excuse for me not to go to the Jama'ah right, bro you can't eat at Asr anyway Right? So get yourself off to the jama'ah for Asr. Right? Now, if it's served at Maghrib time, then you know, you'd say, okay, as a once off. But if it's happening on a regular basis, you'd have to say to yourself, listen, right, in Ramadan or something, we've got to have a system here. We can't have the jama'ah all the time being messed up. So let's have it before or let's have it, you know, let's delay it to a certain time afterwards or whatever. But the point is, is that um, it's gotta be a food that he needs and it's gotta be a food that he's permissible to eat. Right, It can't just be the concept of uh, uh, food So, Sheikh gives an example at the bottom of page 312 He goes, there's a person who's hungry And the food is put in front of him And he hears the iqamah. right? Obviously these people are close to the masjid They hear the iqamah And he's got two choices now Number one, he goes to the masjid And his heart is always just thinking about that food Obviously, he's hungry, right? And so he's going to be thinking about the food all the time Etc, etc And uh, if he would... Uh, Uh, have eaten then he would not be thinking about it he satisfied his urge whether he eats a little bit or not it doesn't matter sheikh says what are we going to say to this person eat don't worry don't worry about the salah eat don't worry why because of the hadith of the prophet narrated in Bukhari hadith number 672 if if, the, if dinner is put in front of you, then start with it before you pray Salatul Maghrib if dinner is placed in front of you, start with that before you pray Salatul Maghrib Hadith is very clear, alright when the food is put forward, then you then put that like that and as I said, um, also narrated by Bukhari that uh, Abdullah ibn Umar himself was also uh, in that situation where he heard the sorry. Sorry, I said the, uh, the, the, the adhan يسمع al Imam. Sorry, he heard the recitation of the imam and he carried on eating. I thought it was the adhan. It was the recitation of the imam and he was eating his dinner. Uh, uh, and that's knowing that Ibn Umar nas الناس Sunnah. He was someone who Abdullah ibn Umar very, very strict on timing, prayer, and everything, but also very strict on following the sunnah. Meaning that in his example, we're being taught a lesson as well. Okay? Um, so again, he said that, well, how much should you eat? Do you eat until you're full, or do you eat only a little bit? He goes, Sheikh Uthameen says, It's up to you. You're, you're allowed to eat up to your fill until you're not hungry anymore. No problem at all. Okay? Because the concession is general, it's not a restricted one. Hasn't got conditions. Hasn't got quantities and amounts. It's a general concession that you can take. The Hadith says, "If the dinner is put in front of you, dinner." Didn't say part of a dinner, two spoons of the dinner. Only allowed to take one handful. Dinner, which is a whole, you know, meal and uh, everything. And Sheikh says, obviously, uh, what I just mentioned about, you know, it's got to be halal. Uh, you know, you've got to be able to eat it. And he goes, another qaid, another uh, uh, condition that we should put, another restriction that we should put is that um, it can't become an habit. habit. Okay? That a person's only basically putting out the food at the time of the qamah. Today we've got very little excuse for that. You've got to plan better. Previously, it's very, very different. No lights, don't forget. Okay? Expensive to uh, uh, burn the wax darkness all the time utilizing time is a pressure it's not as easy for example to say you know what, what what would we say today yeah i'll have it at 10 o'clock i'll have it 11 o'clock you know salah is at 7 or 8 i'll have it later bro no uh, is h- hanging around until 11 o'clock working in darkness in midnight no no light whatsoever and nobody's awake at that time the sunnah is to go to sleep straight after it, isha you get what i'm saying now a lot of the time, we are eating all our meals after all the prayers are done. In fact, we're doing a whole load of things after all the prayers are done. So context is, is important. Action and activity is very much linked to daylight. And in the time of the sunnah, the uh, darkness is either asleep or ibadah. No work. Because you can't work. What work are you going to do in the, in, the, in the nighttime? And that's a fitrah type of sunnah. Which, even though, and I'll be the first to put my hands up and say that you know, 24-hour shop is a life saver, 24-hour shopping and Amazon, whatever. And I'll be the biggest hypocrite if I try to you know, black that one. But I, that's the, the the world we live in. We've been conditioned to that, right? I know that. I you know, there's so many places you go to. Uh, uh, Aqsa which we're going to next week inshallah is one that you always complain about when you're there. But it's only because you're there for five days or ten days. I remember when I used to go to Ottawa, for example. I used to find the same thing. There are certain cities that completely close down at eight, nine o'clock, nothing to be found anywhere. And when you're coming from a city that you're used to eating at midnight, ordering at one o'clock in the morning, you're thinking, what kind of Bakwas uh, backward is this, right? And when you go to, to Aqsa, everything closed, no food available after like seven, 30, 8 o'clock. It's like missions and you get irritated. And I, I get, I, I know how irritated I get because I'm so used to eating late. And here's the, the thing. You know if you stay there for an extended period of time Everything changes Everything changes You remember last year when we were teaching quite a few lessons Doing a lot of the LP lessons from Egypt And I was saying how easy it is to pray to Hajjit, Right Countries When you settle to their natural system You know All the things that you found so unacceptable So controversial They disappear I told you about like moon sighting for example When we're here it's like Scientifically can't see this, can't see that Backwards Pakistan, Pakistan doing Eid three days later to everybody else You know all these kind of things When you're over there Wallah if you ever think about those stupid dogs in the Western their science and the whatever whatnot Even though you're the one who is the one making all the problems You're like this is fantastic Every night you can see the moon, see the moon, see the moon, see the disappearance, see it come up Your whole, your whole frame of reference We like the drama, you know we always think the world revolves around us And the world revolves around us means what? We have access to the internet, access to to sighting curves, access to imkaniya, accessibility, possibilities of moon sighting. We have 24 hour shopping, we have immediate internet, and that changes the psyche. When you go and humble yourself and you sit down in some of the other places and start to realize that, you know what, everything being closed at eight o'clock is a fantastic opportunity to go to sleep early. It's a fantastic opportunity to stop getting fat and eat early, right? It's a fantastic opportunity to wake up early and pray. Is something which is uh, very, very uh, apparent. So that's also a point to remember in context when you see all these hadith about you know you might say well why don't they eat afterwards? But this is the reason why they don't eat afterwards. It's not done. It's not practical. It's not it's not with the sunnah either. Then the sheikh says that the fourth uh, uh, category, the fourth category, um, is uh, he's worried about his uh, wealth. Either it being uh, uh, Ruined or get uh, affected Or so, in some kind of way And this could happen in many uh, different ways For example, he's left something and he fears that it's going to get stolen He's got no way of locking it So a person might be for A, a good example of this would be a person who's, in, uh, who's out on his bike Yeah, He's out on his bike And he hasn't got a lock right? And he comes up to the masjid And he realises that he can't put the bike inside the masjid Because it's not one of those masjids That's got space for that and to leave it outside is basically the whole prayer of thinking, oh my God, my bike, my bike, my bike, my bike, my bike. That's not yani, a prayer. That, that's just a waste of time. Go home, right? Put, park your bike up and enjoy a nice prayer without worrying about your bike. That's a perfect example of this uh, principle. Obviously, Sheikh Uthameen gives the examples of camels and you know uh, being left outside and uh, being told that your camel is... Uh, so he gives an example on page 314 that someone comes and says to him, listen, we saw your camel in so-and-so's place, by the way. So now you've got an option. You're either going to say, that's cool, and you're going to pray, and you're going to think that you're not going to be thinking about your camel. What's it doing over there, and where's it going to go? When a person tells you that, the immediate thing is, i need to go, camel's expensive thing, I need to go out there and hook up my camel. As opposed to say, well, it's already out there now, it doesn't really matter, and I'll just pray. Bro, your whole prayer is dominated by that problem. Right? Likewise, um, children. Now, the children thing, again, people, this is the narrow mindedness, right? About how people. Yeah, go ahead. Go on. Go on. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. I'm not going ibrahim so just to finish that point then um, and so a person obviously uh, um, to be able to be focused on the prayer not be worried about various things is the, 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 the illa here, right? Um, and he gives an example of the person who, uh, now a person who might fear some loss in wealth. So now this is not the classic of something gets stolen, but a waste of money. So for example, a baker who puts the food into the oven, right? And knows that if he goes to the jama'a, it's going to get burned. So he needs to be there. Now. This point is important because actually Imam Ahmed in some question and answer sessions, which are known as the Masail, right? And you have a couple of narrations of the Masail of Imam Ahmed, right? From different uh, students of his, Um, some more authentic than others, but all very, very interesting Where He's put lots of questions and the answers are being uh, written. He gave the concession to a baker, for example, to be combining the prayer, right? Think about that a baker that you know the, the the classic baker the one who doing the, the back home you know the naan and the the, the the bread and whatever and what's important here is to realize that what Sheikh Uthameen is saying and he adds a point he goes but it's important um, uh, uh, that this you know he goes al- al- and you and al- 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 so this is interesting you see Sheikh Uthameen says uh, you know it's allowed for him not to go to the jama'ah And to ignore the iqamah Because he don't want to burn his bread But it's important for him to note this time of the iqamah So he doesn't put the bread in at that time And that's what we would all say Look at the answer of Imam Ahmad Imam Ahmed, it's not here This is something I remember from uh, reading it in the Masail Imam Ahmed said uh, uh, But actually the questioner made it more specific The questioner said that If a person um, is in a scenario where the only time that he can sell the bread is, you know, just like a rush hour. You know, when people are going home from work and they all descend on the the thingy because they're taking it fresh. You know, people don't buy it early. They buy it warm to then take it and eat with their dinner. And so if dinner time, where you're producing the batch for your best sale of the day is linked to that exact time every day, because it's not going to change, is it? Right? It's dinner time. And Imam Ahmed said that this is a person who could combine... (coughs) as much as possible, avoids it, but if needs to be, then he can. Which is the same answer, this, this fatwa by the way, that I will use to allow a surgeon who is constantly doing a long surgery on a Thursday in session, or a pilot, for example, who is constantly as part of his permanent job in a scenario that at least one or two days of the week, absolutely regular every single week, he's going to be in a scenario where his fundamental job does not allow him to pray in, uh, on time. And it just goes to show that, I mean, obviously, combining and stuff is coming later. I don't want to bring that into it now, but I I just want to bring the point that don't, again, try to be too harsh and try to restrict the concession just because you're thinking, man, this guy's taking liberties. If that guy's taking liberties, we'll know about it. Allah knows about it. We don't need to worry about it too much. But it's just an interesting uh, uh, parameter. Um, And Sheikh Uthameen says that also there's no difference between the amount of wealth being a, a little and a lot It doesn't need to be that oh, the risk is a lot of wealth being um, uh, uh, you know, uh, lost um, But he then said something interesting Will also say that a little bit of financial loss for something like the Jumu'ah should be taken on because the Jum'ah is something which is replaced by Dhuhr Whereas the Salatul Juma'ah is not replaced by anything except the prayer itself It's not the end of the world, whereas the Jum'ah is important And so a person should have that attitude, that sacrifice, sacrifice And I remind myself this, I take the opportunity to remind myself of what he said there He's not intending anything more than just making a point that Jum'ah is more important Therefore if a little bit of wealth, what he means there is that maybe a transaction is going to be, you know, as you close everything down and you've got a customer who's about to come in and buy and you know that, no, I've got to go Jum'ah, yeah? And so, sorry, brother, you know, uh, can you do it after Jum'ah? He goes, no, I can't. He goes, well, I'm afraid I can't go ahead with this. And you turn back a customer. And that's obviously, you know, a sale. But if it's like a, not a massive sale, then that's the kind of hit, and that's the one that you'd take for the team. And you'd make ihtisab of Allah, you'd say that I gave that up for your sake. Now, I mentioned this point on a connected issue, because a lot of people keep asking me about, you know, mortgages and things like that. You know, uh, uh, house purchase plans and the things, so it's a common question. And you would have thought that the reason that people, um, and I this might be a bit of a harsh statement, but uh, a lot of, you might think that the people are asking because they have no other option. Actually, it's not true. In the UK, it's not true. In the UK, you have many other options, especially now. There's like, you know, they're coming out of your These different house providers, Islamic home finance programs What are the key characteristics? They're all rubbish That's true Their customer service is the worst in the world They will drive you absolutely bananas Okay, But that's not even the reason The real reason that people don't like going to them is why? They're more expensive And that's something that we have lost as an ummah This idea that you know that being Muslim should be cheaper. No, you've got to accept from the beginning that when you sign up to Islam, your life is going to be more expensive, and that mentality is important. More expensive, either through loss of revenue, either through loss or having to give more charity, or having to go forgo certain opportunities or whatever. This is a mentality you should be ready. It doesn't mean it has to happen. I'm not saying you lose money on purpose, but you should be mentally ready for that as a as a status quo, as a baseline that I end up paying more, right? If we continue to be the people that insist that our halal meat is cheaper than the alternative, there's absolutely no way that that halal meat is according to the Quran and Sunnah, tayyib and halal. It's it's just not physically possible, right? If we keep insisting it to be cheaper, insisting it to be cheaper. So everything, this applies to everything. So I think we should always be ready to pay uh, uh, a bit more, Whether it's effort, whether it's time, whether it's loss, whether it's cost of something, I think that's important. All right, I want to answer a couple of questions online and then anyone who has the questions here, remember that we're at the bottom of 314 or the death of his family member. So um, Adil asks, is the the same, uh, what's the ruling on a person who's not very close to a masjid? Uh, Do they have to attend a jama'ah? No, I think if they're in a rural area, they are excused. Um, you know, 20, 30 minutes away is, is a long, long, uh, too long. and yeah, need to buy cultural standards to be obligated to go to the Jama'ah. They should try to do it as much as pro- uh, possible. Uh, Warda says, Should one join the Imam who combines prayer when there's uh, just a light rain outside? I found myself in that situation. No, I don't think you need to co- join the Imam if he decides to, you know, make that uh, Isha. He, he stands up and says, It's raining outside. I want to pray Isha. If you felt that there's absolutely no harm, for yourself whatever but although if he says i'm combining and we're closing the masjid down which is what the whole point is by the way so imagine we're at maghrib now and it's absolutely pouring down then the reason that he says combining is to stop people coming back out again that's the reason you're combining so obviously if he offers the prayer to be combined then you're not going to say well i'm not combining which prayer are you going to come back for isha you're going to pray at home i it's allowed for you to pray the prayer with that person if you know that the masjid is going to be open or you do have other options and the rain is not a problem then i think it's okay for you to not pray with the imam right i think it's okay to not pray with the imam um how to handle praying during a live class with different time zones this happens a lot i don't uh, so the so Uh, it is important to keep things in context that this is not just restricted to these kind of excuses for example if you have a class of knowledge which is fundamental which you know that you can't make up afterwards etc etc then you should attend the class whereas if you know that it's being recorded and you can make the jama'ah then you've got to make judgment calls in these scenarios as well especially if you can then catch up on the recording later as well is it permissible? to combine Asr with due to the rain or snow I don't want to get into that because this is a big, uh, a big question My opinion is that it's not okay. Just so that you know, my opinion is that it's not But there's a lot of uh, fiqh involved in that uh, I'm, uh, Amin asked the question Could you use this example for parking on yellow and double yellow lines? Absolutely Absolutely, this is an excellent example right? A person shouldn't go to the masjid and park on single and double Because that prayer is basically nothing Oh yeah, I mentioned children, right? Again, this shows the narrow-mindedness of, 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 not narrow-mindedness, just the lack of knowledge. In this masjid, we actually have an official policy, right, from a scholarly point of view, I mean, that people should not bring their children to the masjid under the age of seven. It's very difficult to police because people are so sensitive and they get on their high horse and say that, you know, you're stopping the spread of Islam or some bakwas like that, right? Um, the, the, the truth is, is that and you, can, you can't turn the masjid into a war zone. The, the truth is is that the main reason for that, other than the obvious ones that the scholar spoke about which is disturbing Musalleen and uh, soiling the masjid which is what you'll see the focus on in the previous, in the books so they don't allow that behaviour at all and then they will, you know and when I say allow, I don't mean the, the person who's in no you know, situation in, in a, people who are in a scenario, of course you can bring the, the, the kids to the masjid but people are regularly doing it and there's no reason to do that, yeah and not doing it properly because we know that children, them being there at 4 years old and 6 years old is, has v- virtually zero benefit compared to them attending every day all the prayers with their parents like they should do 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 and as I've said this many times before, it's the parents that bring them in the 4 and 5 and make a big thing out, out of it who you never see bringing them every day or the Fajras or the Isha's for 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 which is when it really becomes what it should do the habit that it becomes But here's the point What I want you to to bring to your attention When you look in the books You find, as I said, the problem being the soiling of the masjid, which is real Disturbing the people, which is real But you don't see what is actually the real reason today Because if someone soils the masjid today, we can deal with it We've got all kinds of cleaning products and the like And when it comes to noise, you know, noise We're in noisy areas, is not a major either The main reason today that we should not at all bring children to the masjid is that the person who brings a child is not thinking about their prayer they're only thinking about their child Because they know, and I mean if they're 3 years old or 4 years old or 5 years old because they don't stay where you are, right? and they go off and this ain't in the middle of the desert where a person goes out they're surrounded by the houses of all the people who live around the masjid they can't get lost, they can't fall into danger there's no uh, car to knock them over this that. whereas here, in this country a child walks out of the masjid Then Allah ma'ak, yani, then, you know, And you know that And you know that And that's why you know we've spoken about this in previous classes before That your whole prayer is just some kind of gymnastic session Where you're looking for your kid yani, As soon as they go out of your eyesight If we we're saying that it's not permissible For you to attend a prayer whilst you're thinking of food That's at home How do you think it's permissible for you to attend a prayer With your 4 year old or 5 year old And the only thing you're thinking of is Where are they? Are they safe? Have they gone out the door? Have they left the premises? Have they gone into the car park? Have they fallen over the X? Have they gone into the street? And every parent knows this is the truth. And if they say no, they're lying. Right? Not for a seven year old, not for a six year old, but for a four, a three, a five year old even. This is facts. So that's why uh, sometimes people need to be less rigid in trying to think that, oh, you know, what oh the Prophet had uh, Amina on her on his back playing around. Hassan Hussein came in playing around. Bro, get with the program. Understand the reality then, and the reality that we live in uh, right uh, now. All right, folks. We, uh, I think we'll call it there because uh, we're starting the slide in a few minutes. I'll carry on some questions maybe in the portal next week. Shaz is in a bad mood today, by the way. Okay, he did root canals. You know when Shaz do root canals, you can tell on his face, he hates root canals, bro. <sighs> Real work, basically. <laughs> I, messaged, I messaged the chief today, and I said to him, "Chief, how many root canals do you do?" Whatever he goes, "Yeah, knock him out, this that, whatever." He goes, "Go to Nihad." He goes, "He's the root canal specialist." I go to yeah, he, he absolutely kills people over root canals, right? Anyway, uh, what are we saying then? Seven thirty next week. Are we going with it, uh, Said? When are we going to get to seven thirty, Isha? Yeah. Are we on a 15 minute all the way to... So it's now 15 minutes all the way now to 7.30 straight run, yeah? Oh, so we are going to hold 8 o'clock for a while. Right. So then we might as well then. Yeah next week only yeah? yeah right so next week then um our lessons going to be 7 30 online okay 7 30 online where we are here the not possible, yeah on the portal and on the app the times are all there all accurate everything you just check there but 7 30 online obviously we're here in cedo so straight off the maghrib basically so we'll see you guys for maghrib next week jazakum khair subhanakallahumma allahumma bihamdika shahadu wa la ilaha illa ant wa astaghfiruk allahumma wa atubu ilayku wasalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu